0: Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Back in March, we kicked off season five with a COVID-themed episode where all of my guests had been working on productions that were shut down during the early stages of the pandemic. That was two and a half months ago. And today, I thought we'd check back in with everybody and get an update. Let me introduce my guests. Allison Che Brown, you were the key customer for an LA-based Netflix show when it shut down. Welcome back.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for coming back. Also returning is Dan Fisher, who was working set decoration for a New York City-based show for Apple Plus TV, which you described as epic in scope. Welcome back, Dan.
2: Thanks. Uh, No, I won't share the title, but I'm always glad to be a part of this. Thank you for having me.
0: Glad you're here as well. And then Katie Carroll, you were the first assistant director on another Apple Plus TV show that was actively filming in Mexico when you were shut down.
3: Thanks, and uh, I think Fred the Cat joined us last time. He may or may not wake up from his nap on this
0: one. That's right. We did uh, get introduced to your cat last time as well. Well, thanks to all three of you for checking back in. Also joining us today is David Tutman, a director and cinematographer based in New York City. Tut, you did not join us for the production shutdown episode at the start of the season, but you have been a guest on the show a couple of times. Welcome back.
4: Thanks for having me, Skid.
0: And Tut, I'd like you to start us off today, because when you and I were catching up a couple of weeks ago, you shared with me that you and your family had the coronavirus. Tell me more about what happened.
4: Well, uh, firstly, we were very fortunate. The only place any of us had been in the two weeks before we got sick was the supermarket. And uh, I first felt ill and uh, had intestinal distress. Uh, Called the doctor a couple of days later when I spiked a fever. And uh, he scored me a test very early. This was in late March. And uh, tests were very hard to come by. And, uh, but he found one and, uh, and swabbed me, and I tested positive for COVID. And um, I isolated my bedroom. I was very lucky. I had two days of fevers and chills. I pretty much slept through the virus and uh, woke up day three, uh, no fever, feeling much better and really hungry. And uh, I was really relieved, because you know, the doctor wanted me to stay in room quarantine, but my wife started feeling sick. At that point, I wasn't worried about getting reinfected, and, I, and she was staying in our uncomfortable guest room to treat our guests better than that mattress. <laughs> and I put her back in our bedroom, and she was sick for two weeks. Dana had a pretty crummy case, but with that, we never worried about her having to go to the hospital. We were under control. And our kids lost their sense of taste and smell, Jesse had a dry cough and Eli had a headache.
0: And Ted, how old are your kids? Uh,
4: they're in their 20s. Uh, all four of us are, have been living together and, uh, and we're very proud of the fact that it's been really now uh, since mid-March, we've been here and nobody's killed each other. It's been great, <laughs> so.
0: So to give me a sense, you, you think you caught it first, perhaps on one of these trips out to the grocery store and brought it yeah. back. And even though you had one virus working through the house, all of you had very different symptoms uh, yes. and and consequences.
4: It's a wildly crazy and confusing virus, I think.
0: And did anyone else in your family actually go get tests, or just assumed? How did the my, medical establishment follow up to all of you being sick?
4: Well, as soon as my doctor and I spoke, uh, when I hit spiked a fever, I called. Uh, I called the Department of Health and told them, you know, and they gave me the advice to you know isolate and. The next time I heard from the Board of Health, I mean, they were so overwhelmed, uh, was three weeks later in the middle of April. And uh, the guy on the phone was incredibly nice. And uh, we arranged on that phone call for all four of us to get tested. And uh, we took a, a car ride to Bear Mountain, the huge parking lot where you know, the National Guard and and other, and state police and all had set up uh, you know, a testing facility in tents and got tested. And uh, my wife and I were both negative, although we had the most clear symptoms and both our sons tested positive at that point they had gotten it later everybody's fine now we're totally okay and uh, I'm very grateful to say
0: I'm really to hear that you guys made a full recovery obviously that's not always the case uh, other guests have any of you guys had um, exposure to the coronavirus either directly or through the people that you know
2: I'm gonna answer your question by saying not really um, there were a few people in our shop who had been sick prior to that, but nobody was confirmed with COVID. And to this day, we don't know what it was. I had a few weeks before the shutdown, uh, had a couple of days of a, of a high fever. I had 104 fever, but I was tested for the flu because this was before, you know, COVID became part of every other sentence and was found that I didn't have the flu. But it just went away, so I don't think that was COVID. It was symptoms that could have very easily scared me into thinking it. But uh, I know that COVID doesn't disappear after four days of bed rest, uh, or at least uh, it didn't. But I just also wanted to to jump in too to say, you know, I I am as 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 many of your listeners know, I've been living uh, as a heart transplant recipient for since December of uh, 2018, and so I've been living kind of this lifestyle for a long time anyway. Um, I've been wearing masks and bringing hand sanitizer around with me wherever I go. And when I did return to work, that had to become very important that that people had to respect that, that I might be the guy wearing the mask in the shop. And, and it took some getting used to by a lot of people to interact with that. And then when the quarantining happened, I mean, the same thing. I had to do that for the first, six weeks or so after my heart transplant i'm very i'm on immunosuppressants so i'm very susceptible to any potential virus of any kind that could kill me the regular flu could kill me so i've just always been cautious about that and in similar to dave's story and and by but listen dave wins you know he got COVID 19 i'm I'm very happy to say i don't win or great but my my household was in a similar circumstances to yours dave and my daughter was uh, a student at McGill University in Montreal. And they shut down. And for the first few weeks out of consideration to me, she was gonna try to gut it out up there all by herself in her Mm. apartment. But it was like the Omega man after a while. There was just nobody on the streets. There was nobody around her. Services were shutting down around her. So she called and she said, can I come home? And we're like, of course you can come home. This is your home, come home. And when she did, we did take about, I'd say, probably a 10-day period of complete self-isolation within our own house. Uh, she stayed in her room, I in mine, and my wife in her son's former bedroom. So we isolated from one another in the same house. And it, after, after 10 days, it was like, you know, we are sharing the same kitchen. So we, we, we decided we were okay. But yes, I will always be cautious. I'm still not, I, none of us go grocery shopping. We don't go out to, into a store. We do all pickups. We're very lucky. We've got a, a farm stand system here with a, at least three or four different farm stands and an organic place, So, do curbside delivery. So we pull up, they do the delivery, nothing touches hands. It's all paid for with debit cards.
0: That is lucky that you've been able to uh, minimize your contact in those areas, particularly Dan, very lucky. Uh, remembering uh, your heart transplant and the extra risk that you face. Allison or Katie, tell us more about how things are in Los Angeles these days.
3: Uh, for us, it's, I mean, we were really good for a long time, and just come Memorial Day weekend, suddenly the crowds are out. I live right by the beach, and for all of Memorial Day weekend, I had some <laughs> friends text me, let's go get a socially distanced drink and we'll sit on the lawn. like, I am not leaving my house this weekend. I'll sit on the balcony three stories up with my drink in hand and judge everyone as they walk by going towards the beach. I am not doing that because it's, it's getting a little crazy, and I'm, you know, paranoid about my parents who are still very close to me not just emotionally but physically they're in the same town so I try and check in on them and but so far everyone's doing well in our world other than just you know eventually getting to the end of Netflix
1: and running out of things to do.
0: <laughs> Allison how about on your side what's your uh, shelter and replacement like?
1: Yeah I think Katie and I are lucky because we're in LA and I mean I've been like tanning outside I like run every day it's like mm-hmm. we trade produce for whatever if you you've lemons do you have avocados I mean mm-hmm. I feel really bad for all the people that can't go outside but I go outside a lot I've been going to like driving movie theaters it's just you can just kind of just stay in your little bubble I haven't been to a store since this started mm-hmm. like at all I've not stepped foot in anything we get everything delivered or curbside or something like I just don't I haven't gone to a store, so it's just been really easy though, but having cars in LA, it's super easy to access all of that. So I'm super grateful to be here because I used to be a former New Yorker for years and years until I relocated to Hollywood to work on this side. but. I can't imagine. I mean, I feel so bad for all my friends who who had COVID. They were so sick, and they also couldn't do their laundry because they had to be quarantined, and they couldn't walk to the laundromat. I mean, it was just so sad. And then our friends would have to send them like clean clothes, clean food. It just—it was crazy. I just—it's like I can't imagine. Like you have to be in like your dirty sheets still because you can't leave your house. It's just crazy. It's just crazy.
0: Allison, you talked about the folks you knew who had COVID. In New York, I presume, are we reaching the point where everyone knows someone who's suffered the virus?
1: I mean, unfortunately, I think so. I mean, Katie and I lost our executive producer, co-songwriter um, Adam Schlesinger, yeah. and crazy ex-girlfriend, and that was just. I mean, I'm Katie. I'm sure Katie, you knew him. I I didn't know him at all. But when you see someone every day go to work, and you know that like he wrote a song that you later shot that day, and then when you help dress them, you know, for the live show, and they're just such easygoing people, and then. And then now they're no longer there. It's, it's very strange. I mean, I'm and sure he, Katie, you have thoughts on yeah, that. Yeah, and he was one of the first
3: known deaths before it just became a daily occurrence, but he was one of the first people with a name that uh, affected a lot of people just from the music that he wrote. And when we first found out he's sick, I remember sending a text to all my crazy ex-ADs. I think it was like 11.30 at night or something. I'm really sorry for the late text, but guys, this is what's going on. The next day, we're all over. We're texting and emailing everyone. How's he doing? How's he doing? we would gotten word that he was doing better. We're like, great, great. And then the next day, he passed away. And it just, I think that's when it really started to hit me because that's after we'd been in quarantine for maybe a week. And at that point, everyone could stay home for a week. We're going to be fine. And that's when it really kind of kicked in. Like, holy crap, young people. I mean, he was only 50. Oh, he was, so- he was so young. So much work behind him, but so much more work ahead of him. And it, that one was a kick in the gut. And then it just kept going and going and going. It's like, ugh.
2: In New York, we have uh, two crew member deaths that I know of, and I'm sure there, unfortunately there are more. I can't claim either of those, uh, them as friends, but their faces were familiar to me. One was a costumer named Josh mm-hmm. Walwork, who worked on SVU. And I do recall uh, at least passing him in a hallway or something. And, and an art director named Matteo De Cosmo. I don't know Todd, if did, if you did you work with either of those guys. You recall? Cross paths with Matteo, but
4: not often. I didn't know him well at all. But he had a, a, a really
2: beloved a beloved guy.
4: Really um, kind and really good at what he did. And
2: and I, I think to get on a soapbox, I think it's really important to to say those names. And to share the stories, and even yours to I mean thankfully, of course, you survive, you know I don't know about you guys, but I go online because I've got all kinds of time, and I come across deniers, people who try to minimize this whole thing, you know, just the flu, oh, they're, they're pumping up the deaths with old people, et cetera, and I just have to keep going around'm like, look, I know two people who died, and it wasn't of the, it wasn't of the flu and they weren't old. I have a dear, dear friend who went through this and it was hell for him. And, and t- you're not my only dear, dear friend too. I mean, I've had a number of, I'd say at least three I can think of off the top of my head, who went through it and it was just hell. I, I can't stand it when that's minimized. It's, it's, it's inhumane and cruel to do that.
4: I was very lucky, but it, for those two days, I was as sick as I had been in years. The uncertainty, waiting, is this gonna be one of those COVID turns for the worse? And it's a, it's a scary virus, and we know how unfortunate the outcomes can be. It's important that people think long and hard about how we look out for each other right now. This is, a, this is a time where we as a group can exert some care for each other
2: and really make a difference for each other. And I hope we're up to the task. You know, I did listen to the podcast that Allison and Katie and I did before coming back to this one, and I, I'm, I'm alarmed at how naive I was at the time feeling like that somehow this could unite us. And I I did not see at all how politicized this has become. I feel that's part of my job every day, just to try to spread information, to keep learning what this is about and to share what I know.
4: Mm-hmm. And
2: if, that, if that's through your experiences cut, or my friend John yet who gave me my first, one of my first jobs in this business, uh, a production designer who very nearly died, but thankfully didn't from this. You know, it's 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 just it, I'm gonna start crying right now in here. It's just staggering.
1: Well, well, the quarantine's been a funny thing um, because it, it's taught me a lot of patience. I know that sounds so cheesy and corny, but I've just been doing so much meditating and like being active, and all of that has just given me like a lot of time to like really think. And you know, in our in our industry, we're just always go go go, barely sleeping, barely eating, etc. And I've really just had a really nice time reflecting. It's been really overwhelming. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm the first person to tell you that this has been super overwhelming, but I've actually had like more energy to like talk to people that I fully disagree with, but have so much energy to just like, listen, I'm like, no, 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 I'm just really going to listen. People that I have complete, we just are never going to agree on it. But I mean, I've like honestly sat down and just like listen to people on the phone. Like, I'm like, actually, I want to hear this because I need to know what you're thinking so I can figure out how to like listen better or communicate in a way that we're going to find some sort of middle ground or something. So I'm glad that I've had the time to like just recharge and then just figure out what I want to say and how I feel about it because I mean, I go outside a lot, but like in LA and you know, further in the mountains, like I can really avoid people. Like I found some like really empty areas where I can go a mile without seeing people. But like because of the coronavirus and just the <clears throat> xenophobia, I just don't really want to go out to the store. You know, as an Asian American woman, I'm just I'm just not I just don't wanna engage in any of that. And it's been really overwhelming for my my friends in New York City, a lot of Asian Americans who just also have been hit like hit hard by it. It can be physical, it can be verbal, it can be covert, it can be, you know, overt. All of it is really overwhelming. And it's just been staggering in the numbers and across the board. And I don't know. I just I've just taken the time to like, I'm just like, okay, well I'm just gonna educate myself. Like all I can do is weaponize myself with education and just patience because like violence is not the answer so personally like i've had to like find that strength in me and then within my community you know people of color to kind of just solidarity because that's kind of like all i can do you know what i mean like we're all like alone but we're all like having this bigger conversation constantly which i think is really important and um i think it's been really worthwhile actually like just talking about it because it's it's uncomfortable but it's like so good
2: well, I do wonder too, since this is an industry-specific podcast, that um, when we, whenever we do go back to production, whenever that is, you know, there are people within our industry and within our union who do not think like the five of us seem to do. I'm going to have to go back and work with some of these these bozos, and when we are going to have protocol and and guidelines as to what our standards are going to be for health and safety in our workspaces, are these people going to comply? Because right now they're not complying with the simple thing of put on a frickin mask already. And, and, I, and I listened to the Teamster episode and it was heartwarming to hear their leaders at least saying, when we go back, we're going to do things right. And this is what we're going to do. And I'm hoping that the Teamsters might be the ones that can be something of a leader on, the leaders on set to say, look, we have American flags on our on our shirts and some of us might have even voted for Trump, but on the other hand, we're gonna take this seriously, and you have to as well. You know, We're every bit as macho as anybody, and we're, we're complying, so you should as well. Um, but I, want, I wonder and I worry. I, I don't know how it's gonna work socially.
4: I'm of a belief at this point that when we do come back, and I honestly don't have a clue when that'll be, people are gonna be awakened by a very serious change in our plans. We're gonna be working differently. Things are gonna take a lot longer. There are gonna be fewer of us on a set and on the job at a time. It, it, there's a whole dynamic that we're gonna face as an industry and we're gonna to have to rethink a lot of things. There's a, there's a lot of talk about using gaming technologies to create backgrounds and never leaving the set or rarely leaving the set. There is a movie that I think is being started in two weeks but only one actor is being shot a day and there are no two actors on a set. So there's no over the shoulder. <laughs> I mean, and we are And it's a movie with
3: a, a much, much, much bigger budget.
4: Yeah. And, things and, and the
0: take... sex scenes are going to be kind of awkward, I think. <laughs> <laughs> are they going <laughs> to- <laughs> and,
4: and, and things are going to take longer.
0: Well, and I think we brought up some really good points. And while there is this general political debate going on, all indications that- I've gotten so far is that the film industry leadership is approaching these issues very deliberately. And the protocols that are not finalized are going to have a lot of thought and a lot of science behind them. And with the power of the unions and the safety of members at stake, I suspect, I hope that individuals will fall into line. But I want to take that opportunity to pivot back and ask each of you over the last couple of months, what has happened with your shows? Allison, why don't you tell us what was going on with Netflix?
1: Um, so my sitcom was pretty generous from the beginning. On the day that we were sent home, they gave us two weeks' pay. And then um, every week after that, they kind of give us an update, and they just kept extending it, extending it, extending it. It was so, it was so generous of them just to really um, look out for below-the-line crew members. And then they even went through a bit of May. And then recently, I had to um, apply for unemployment insurance. But I just was super grateful because I knew some people that like walked off the job and didn't get a dime. And then I had been paid through like many, many, many weeks through Netflix. I haven't heard any updates about opening it, but that's pretty much it.
2: Well, my show and I, I bet Katie's is, is pretty much the same uh, because it was Apple TV. Two weeks was the original agreement of eight hour day pay. And then we did get a third week. I do think they were, it was generous. Listen, just to to hand out, uh, you know, paychecks for for any number of weeks when you don't have to. I appreciate the generosity of Apple TV, and then then the, the spigot closed up. Uh, and but I just filed for unemployment, and by that point the uh, the CARES Act had passed, so that was the six hundred dollar additional bonus.
0: So, Tut, what were you doing when the lockdown started in March?
4: Before yeah. before you got sick. Uh, well, I was pretty much in. Uh a kind of uh, social isolation mode anyway in that I wasn't really working at the time. So I was uh, pretty much in the routine of uh, walking the dog and riding my bike when it was warm enough and, uh, and cooking dinners. And I'd uh, and I've, I've been aware of the virus since early January. I had, uh, my stepfather was an immunologist and I've always been interested in virology. And when I heard about the outbreak in Wuhan, I did find it really interesting. I did actually gather masks and sanitizing stuff in January and put together just a small kit in the guest room uh, so that we were prepared. And um, my wife was rolling her eyes at me a little bit, but I'm I'm actually, i I feel as if uh, the stuff my stepfather taught me, Gregory taught me well about some stuff and uh, my antenna were properly up. Um, So we were in a quiet mode anyway. We'd just been living our lives and I'd been working with my
0: agents about the next project really. Katie, how did things develop for you?
3: Yeah, they promised us, first they said two weeks, plus completion of assignment, which is one week severance that we get as Directors Guild. Then they said three weeks. Uh, and then a week later, they said, oh, three weeks, including the severance. I'm like, okay, so I'm back to what I originally was going to get. Fine. I mean, that's still, I mean, I can complain or I can just say, hey, that's a hell of a lot more than the vast majority of Americans are getting right now. So I'll just appreciate it. And I actually heard from the producers on my show first, I want to say first week of May, just, oh yeah, we think we're going to get back to work end of May. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. Let me know. Great. You're reaching out. Not believing it for a second. And then about two weeks ago they thought, oh yeah, maybe end of June. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. Sure. Let me know. I'll just, yeah. I'd be shocked if it was the end of June, especially considering we were a traveling show. So our show we owe four and a half episodes in three different cities, and I don't know how that's going to work realistically. So like, I'll just stand by the phone. I'll take a call whenever it comes.
0: And so it is above your pay grade, Katie, but you had talked about how your lead actor was committed to another show, which is yeah. probably not going to start up on time as well, but is probably ready to start whenever things do loosen up.
3: Well, and that's the other part of it that I'm very, con- I mean, not only concerned about, but it's a giant unknown as our lead actor was committed to another show. They were in prep when everything shut down. So theoretically, when things do finally start up again, their prep would be less time than our prep to get up and running because they were already in that prep stage and they could just go right to it. So theoretically they could call for him sooner than we could finish, but there was, his co-lead in that show who was on a show that was shut down and do they need to finish that show so every, it's a giant domino piece around here and what shows aren't going to go at all anymore because they just can't or heaven forbid somebody got sick or they want to rework the story so when things start up i like i don't know that they're going to start up exactly where they left off because everybody starts up at a different speed and everybody starts up at a different place And it's a domino in that one show starting up will legislate when the next show that is immediately following it starts up.
2: Our Apple TV show, I think we have some aces in in our particular uh, deck in that our show has really, you know, of course we've got one through 10 on the call sheet, but none of them are, to my knowledge, sort of name actors. We've done, I think, uh, four episodes now. We've established that these are the actors playing these parts, so we can't switch them out but it's not like we've got Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. Right. So, and I'm sure they're in demand. I don't mean to, I don't want to minimize it too much, but I think that gives us an advantage. The stars of our show really are the story and concept itself and the special effects, which are going to be massive. I'm optimistic that I will go back to the show that I was on whenever that is.
3: Uh, like number four on our call sheet was a 13 year old kid. Over the course of just the four months of our filming, we saw him shoot up an inch. <laughs> I will be fascinated to see how much he has grown by the time we actually do go back because he could legit be another two inches to right at that age where he gets growth spurts. So suddenly mid-episode, he'll go from being shorter than his mom to taller than his mom. I'm like, that could be interesting. But well, I got into- apple
0: boxes, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah <or laughs> exactly. Costuming. Awesome. Yeah. That's a challenge for costuming, right? The Lord of the, the Rings. where The kids get in the foreground. <laughs> yeah.
1: Katie, no, I feel the same way, my, my sitcom's a family show. I have like four yeah. kids in our family, and even throughout shooting like five hour episodes, I was just rushing to constantly get the little one like bigger pants, because she yeah. just kept growing. <laughs> I mean, they were like six years old, the boy didn't even hit puberty yet, the girl was just hitting puberty. When you come back, his voice will be deeper? They'll be I, a whole different guy. I think they basically have to throw out the rest of the seasons of the scripts and then act like time had passed because they're going to be like in another grade. I mean, they're exactly. going to be huge. It's going to be, I don't even know what we're going to do.
2: My job in the past couple of years since I, I got out of prop mastering has been to oversee getting objects from one place to another, uh, different locations, making sure the crews uh, are sent to the right places and are, are, are represented and so forth. And Tut brought it up and I, it's, it's, it's going to change... You know, can, are people gonna let us go into a home or into a business to film an office scene? Is everything gonna have to be built sets I, or, or green screen? I'm gonna assume that at some point, the dangling of money might uh, still do its work, uh, especially for people who do own houses and, and, and are worried about making mortgage payments that, uh, that they will take the assurances and the uh, insurance uh, that, that uh, productions will have to provide if, if people are going to let us back into their houses, they really have to have assurance that we're not gonna kill them and, and that it's worth their while, but they are gonna want that money. And and, and and so I think also productions in general are gonna have to even ramp up the insurance that I know they all carry to, to cover that. And I do know by the way too, that you know there's, there's lots of talk about crews having to sign waivers that if somebody is sick, if a crew gets sick, if, if an infection enters a home, who's responsible for that? You know, liability is a huge, huge issue always in our industry. But especially now, I think that the three main concerns always have always been, uh, as long as I've been making movies, who who's, who's number one on the call sheet, because that really, that steers the project that funds it. If an actor says I don't want to do it. You could you could shut the whole project down just with that. But no studio wants to be the one that says, "Oh, we made that movie that killed Meryl Streep.
0: <laughs> She's a
2: national treasure." <laughs> but besides from actors, it's also locations. You know, we're still at least in New York. Even shows that are on stages, we still do a lot of location work. But then liability is 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 huge, and it's going to only be more huge with, with once whenever this thing. Uh, Finally, quote unquote, opens up again.
0: You know, Dan, I'll speak to that uh, uh, briefly just because I think that's one area where, while it's not true for the entire industry, at least the folks on this podcast are represented by unions that are going to manage the liability issue at that level. Because, like all this talk of signing waivers, I think is a little premature because I think the unions are going to step in and say, this is how what the standard is going to be on healthcare and liability and these sort of things. I don't think we individually are going to have to make that choice, not at least so on the productions either. that we work on. Fortunately, I it's think. not true across the industry, obviously. There's going to be a lot of indie productions that perhaps follow other rules, but from a union perspective, I think we can all be relieved that the union is not only protecting us, but it's also going to set standards that even indie productions at some level Insurance and film permits and all of the larger infrastructure of making film is going to have to go along with how the unions lead the way on this. For what it's it's
3: worth, I got an email from the DGA saying, Look, we understand no one's really going back to work yet, but if for whatever reason you get a call for a job, let us know. We're not going to tell you don't take the job, but let us know because then they want to look into that job and double check it's all the up and up. Because I know that there are maybe a commercial with very small crew, a few commercials here or there that are shooting, or maybe a reality show with one or two people, you know, small, small productions. But if they're union, then I know that the unions are really trying to monitor them as best they can.
2: I am so proud of my union, IOTC. They have just rocked this thing. They've done what they can in so many different ways. I, you know, I listened to that episode, Skid, uh, with the different union reps. And, and, you know, I thought I knew the story, but I really, I really got so much more backstory in terms of how much effort was put into expanding the CARES Act. You know, the work itself is redefined, that people who don't do nine to five in one specific place are the only ones to get to benefit from this, that all of us did. And that was that was primo work. Um, IOTC, both the local and international, has been great about communicating, sending out regular things, saying, don't listen to the rumors. We're, don't worry about these, these rumors of waivers or this or that. Let us handle it. As always, the contract will be the contract. You don't stray from the contract. Mm-hmm. And then even just the social services that IOTC has been providing, things like providing phone buddies and, and, and grocery deliveries, all of that, they've just been superb. And, and the coordination between all of the unions, I'm so grateful to be in the union, and I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of the work that, that all the unions have done.
4: I definitely think that uh, we in our community are really fortunate that we are in the um, ever smaller union workforce. And uh, I hope that uh, with this, as we see workers struggling uh, for safety and for decent treatment, that uh, maybe part of this rebuilding that we hope can happen is uh, an additional contribution by unions and and people's participation in them more because it it's it's truly important for most of us to be represented and to be together and making sure we get what we need
1: we had a three-hour zoom meeting with our president um, of the guild the costume designers guild and it just was a re- really reassuring meeting because he basically outlined and reassured us like you're gonna have a job don't worry um, if anything our teams are gonna double And we're going to have shorter shifts. The doctors are all really concerned with no more overtime, no more 16 to 18 hour days. You might do two shifts. You might share a job with somebody. And then, you know, the next crew comes in. The set crew will be smaller, but the crew itself won't be. And we're just going to be divided within the studio. So I might not be able to run to the set anymore to hand off something to you know, my costume, or speak to a director or, you know, DP or something or talk about the lighting like, oh, you know, does this marae? I won't be able to do this freely anymore. It'll be more just like a definite chain of command and even just talk about when you hand a costume to the actual actor, you might not even be able to hand it to an AD anymore. And like, it just, you can't, like all the touching is going to stop. But it was just nice to know, like, you'll have a job. Your pay will be the same. You will not sign a waiver. Being protected with an IATSE It just was just so nice to hear those things and just like, you know, PPE will be provided. A lot of my concerns about not going out into the world is I'm going to be going out in the world so much once production starts, whether or not stores are ready for it. And I'm going to have to wait in those target lines, et cetera, et cetera. And our president was even saying stores might not even be prepared yet for you within the industry you might still have to be doing curbside online shopping. You might not be able to go into all the stores and the vintage, like it might not even be there. So we're just going to to be patient and that's going to be a whole mountain that we're going to have to climb. And so I've just been kind of not looking forward to going back right away because I don't even think the world that we live in is prepared for what I do to happen. But also I've even seen a lot of emails through just like specific private companies that we use as suppliers. And then just like, oh, we're opening up in June half half hour days half weeks every other days so they're preparing slowly so we also can prepare slowly also even though they can be they're going to offer PPE obviously as customers we've been making so many masks like they fit our faces and stuff so i don't know if we can't wear ours when we go back to work or we have to wear theirs or a combination etc but it's like i like wearing ours because they're fitted to our faces really specifically but I could wear those too.
0: You know, the ones we made at home do not fit to our faces nearly as well as the ones that customers are making for themselves. So I, <laughs> I just had stuff. a fitting.
1: <laughs> I, I had a, I had a mask fitting yesterday with a friend of mine because my One of my dear friends and I have been making like masks. We made like over a thousand masks and donated to hospitals and Navajo Nation and Standing Rock, et cetera. Just anyone in need. We've just been donating, making them donate. But then since we haven't had lots of requests recently, I've just been doing more personalized masks for people. And because my little Asian face doesn't fit like a bigger man's face, like we we've like had to shave off a lot of things and like alter them. For people and uh, a lot of women. Also, women just have smaller faces in general than men. So it's been interesting because I'm like, oh my god, I had to take off an inch and a half here and an inch over here, and I I made like I made like just bulk orders for people, and they're like, oh my god, this mask is so big, it covers my ear. I'm like, your face is so much smaller than like my dad's face or like his face, you know? And it's just crazy because I didn't even think about how her ear would be that much closer to her head, and so. I just had to do a whole new repattern of like women sizes and also because we're donating to doctors we're compensating for the N95 masks underneath which we were compensating for that size but now because they're just like domestic masks just to go to the store like you probably don't have an N95 mask so uh, we're we have to also now recompensate for not having that surface area not off your face so so we've just been doing a lot of like you know, mask making on top of also just trying to stay in touch with our costume community, whether or not it's a, within IATSE or just like locally or within our stores um, and just make sure they're still in business. I've been shopping specific places, supporting local businesses and people and um, our community. So that's been really great.
2: Well, you brought up something that uh, I, I've been curious about, allison and, and I'd love to hear Katie's and Skid's perspective on it, which is I'm, I'm wondering, when, whenever this time that we do go back, what will production's expectations be? Will they scale their expectations to what we can deliver and also then for how long? In, not only in terms of schedule and everything else, but as you point, you and I, Alison, both, we are the ones who are most directly into the business of getting stuff from merchants from the outside world and getting it to a set. So will there be understanding and patience from production's point of view of, well, we just couldn't get that thing that you wanted. You have to take this, and you have to make do. And then with schedules, I'm, I'm sure, Katie, you're going to have a lot of headaches, where at first I think everybody's going to be talking safety. They're going to be talking, not, but little by little, they're going try to start to try to push the boundaries. Yeah, but what if we do this? Yeah, can't we try to, you know, you have to just keep pushing back. I'm curious, Katie and, and Skid, what your perspectives are on that from production.
3: Well, I was actually going to say, whatever... The unions come up with with whatever our new protocol is. I'm actually not worried about the crew. That's what crews do. We adapt. We deal. We say, okay, that's the situation. This is how we do it. And I'm really kind of interested, just from my curiosity side, of what crew members will bring. when the union says, or the you know the studio safety says, this is what you need to do. What random grip is going to say, what if you did this, this, this? And you're like, oh, well, that will make that step three times faster and actually save a personnel person from interacting with another person. I mean, that's what we do, we adapt. So I'm really curious how we're gonna go back to work because I know the crews can handle it. I'm more worried about studio and networks because every single safety protocol that is being even slightly suggested as we debate it is every single movie, every single episode of TV is going to take longer to shoot. And if we're allowed fewer hours in a day, that's more days per episode. I mean, a seven-day episode, which we did on Crazy X, that's gone. That's not going to happen for a single camera. For sitcoms, that's a different story. But for your average one-hour show, seven days, that's long gone. Eight days is a pipe dream. I think you're looking at minimum 12 for a simple show. For an extensive show, you're looking at 15. And at what point do the studio and networks accept that and just realize, okay, we're no longer doing 22 episodes on a network show. We're just doing 13 because that's all we can do in nine months.
0: No, I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb here because as a former assistant director, my livelihood is not tied to production standing back up. Um, and uh, podcast production is continuing unabated, <laughs> let me tell you guys. So no, there's no worries there for the podcast.
3: Oh, I know. But- <laughs> my queue is crazy long right now.
0: But I do think that in some ways, I understand the need and the desire for production people to discuss how would we have done this and I've done that, but I think that we're applying an old paradigm to an unknown situation. And what I think a better thing to accept is that there are several moving pieces in this equation. Uh, One is the actual situation on the ground, Arguing back to what Allison said about whether stores are actually ready, whether what we've talked about earlier about locations being ready, like the actual situation of what, states are doing lockdown, what the rules are on gathering and this sort of thing. And then the second moving piece is our understanding of what the virus actually does, how it spreads, what the effects are, how science is able to catch up with whether it's vaccines or um, better treatments, you know, to minimize the consequences of catching it. All of the, That's also a factor in the equation. And the third part then is what you actually do with production. And so I think what we're going to see, my prediction is that production is going to move slowly as those first two factors become clear and adapt to the situation as it is. And the nice thing about production is that we've talked about union studying standards and such. It's also a Dispersed group of players and folks making decisions and there will be lots of people thinking about with what we know of the science and what's going on reality on the ground, what can we do to create? And so that's why there's talk of commercials coming back first, because small groups of people, a couple of days shoot, it's easier to adapt to those first two unknowns with a smaller crew. And I think that as the situation develops and as we learn more, people will go a little further and production will get a little more expansive. I think it will be a long time before we're doing another battle movie, for example, Mm -hmm. because of all we know of what is going on behind the scenes is not possible to do under the current circumstances or based on what we know of the science. But I do think that this is an innovative industry and folks are creative and we'll figure out how to do it and we'll do it in small bits and we'll see what's successful and there will be some setbacks and it'll be a long time before there are major productions again trying to operate under these conditions. But that will come as well, I think. I, I am hopeful, because of the need for entertainment, because of what we bring to the table as creative industry professionals, that there will be production again.
3: Absolutely.
2: Yeah, well, what are the three big industries right now in America? It's, it's food service, healthcare, and entertainment. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what we manuf- manufacture more than anything now in this country.
0: Again, I hope that wasn't too much of a, a soapbox. And again, take what I say with a grain of salt. Um, I know there's a lot of folks out there on the front lines and need the work. And folks are going to have to adapt to, to the circumstances on a, on a case-by-case basis.
3: Totally unrelated, but as a codist to all this, like all of your production people, if you know PAs, call them to do your grocery deliveries. Instead of calling Instacart or Amazon, call the PAs who didn't get a severance barely made minimum wage to make their rent to begin with. They are home bored with cars and willing to work. Give them an extra 50 bucks to do a delivery instead of paying Instacart a shit ton of money. I guarantee you they'll be thrilled about it. And if they're not, then hey, let them stay home. But I'm trying to keep the PAs employed as much as possible because they're on the edge and they have no union backup.
2: Very good point. Thank you for saying Mm -hmm. that.
0: Well, with that in mind, uh, I hope all of you continue to navigate uh, your sheltering in place. If you do get called back to work, obviously you need to let the union know first, but second, let us know here below the line because we want to get you back on the show. We want to hear how that goes. Until then, folks, thanks again for checking in. See you guys next time. See you. Thank you. Be safe and well. Stay home. Listeners, that's a wrap on season five. I want to take the opportunity to do some behind the scenes work on how the podcast is produced, but I'm in the process of scheduling new episodes and I'm aiming to be back on the air in a few weeks. I'm always grateful for your feedback. You can send your email comments to skid, S-K-I-D, at belowthelineoneword.biz. That's B-I-Z. Please rate us wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us reach new listeners. And if you yourself are a new listener, I hope you'll check out some other episodes. drop me an email, I'm happy to recommend some of my favorites. So if you're on Facebook, you can find photos and other behind-the-scenes materials at Podcast Below the Line. And finally, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. It's at PodMorowTheLine. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music and John Wan for our logo. The logo is available on t-shirts, mugs, and stickers at redbubble.com. Be safe out there. Hope everyone will be back for season six. Did, um, aside, did we lose Katie altogether? What did, uh, what happened? Is she looking her? for her
1: cat? Katie. I don't know.
2: Well, while we're waiting for Katie, I guess. Yeah.
0: My 20 year old daughter
2: while away, you know, just one day said, oh, I wrote this screenplay. Do you want to read it? I'm like, you write screenplays? She's like, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, she's thinking we going to law school. She's studying for LSATs, but she's like, yeah, I wrote a screenplay and it was really fricking good. So it's like, oh, you know, so creativity in a, in a household certainly helps uh, prevent the the, the, uh, the moments of animosity over who's going to cook or do dishes or why they didn't in the first place. <laughs> Oh, there's Katie.
3: Oh, thank you. I had to, <laughs> way back in February, I ordered some Girl Scout cookies. And then, <laughs> so my friend was just like, hey, you're at home. You want me to deliver the Girl Scout cookies? You ordered?" I'm like, yes. And I totally forgot that that was today. So I had to run down and go get my Girl Scout cookies.